Hey humans, I'm Harley Sobaka. And I'm Anthony Morrow. And this is Boom Direct. Where we discuss our biggest hits, the insides of the comic book industry, first look announcements, and exclusive interviews with your favorite comic book creators. Also, um, it's May the 4th when this drops, so happy Star Wars Day! Happy Star Wars Day, everyone! Um, so hopefully you still listen to this, even though you're being um, bombarded by Star Wars things on the internet. To which, like, I know I'll, I'll be celebrating Star Wars Day and looking at all those sweet, sweet announcements. Uh, so, you know. Oh, yeah. By the by the time this drops on May 4th, I will have already gone to Disneyland on May 2nd during Disneyland Star Wars Week. Um, partially for my birthday, but also partially for they're doing like Star Wars Night. So I still haven't been able to go to Galaxy's Edge yet. Uh, that's something. So I was supposed to go right like right after it opened and then the uh-huh. pandemic hit. And then I just haven't mm. been able. I just haven't been back since for like the past three years. And I've had friends who go and like one of my best friends up here, um, his family tradition. It's like they literally go every holiday season. Um, and mm-hmm. so he was sending me pictures of him at Galaxy's Edge. And I'm just like, I want to do it so bad. Um, Dude, I will. I used to work at Disneyland. That's a fun Harley <laughs> fact. I used to work at Disneyland, which is why I still go so often. Um, and I went to the cast member private premiere of Galaxy's Edge. I am jealous. I will gladly spend $300 to make a lightsaber. Like 100%. That's mm. not a question. I think I'm going to do that. I think, I mean, obviously I haven't gone yet, but I'll have gone by the time this comes out. I think that's what I'm going to do. Cause one of my friends, he was like, Oh yeah, let's go for your birthday. Um, I have a few friends coming with me and he was like, do you want me to make you an appointment to make a lightsaber? And I was like, oh, yes, yes, please. So I think I'm going to be doing that. That's super cool. It's it, that's actually very funny. So for, for my birthday this year, coming up this summer, um, initially, my partner was like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to go to Disney World to do Galaxies as at Disney World to stay in the cool Star Wars hotel. And so we looked into that and it's like bare minimum five grand. And we we're just like, nah, never mm-hmm. mind. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Not doing that. It's I mean, I've heard it's an experience, but yeah, it's that in the cruise. Yeah. The prices are insane. Yeah. But anyway, listen, we will do it eventually. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. That we don't have. <laughs> anyway, let's stop talking about Star Wars. Let's talk about... Stop talking about Star Wars. Let's talk, talk about, about Boom. Yeah, let's talk about Boom. Uh, so hopefully so, you all listened to our first episode with the uh, Grimm team, uh, Stephanie and Flaviano. And uh, hopefully you maybe even watched the uh, cut down interviews on YouTube because those are also a fun experience. Yeah. Yeah. And we love, we love getting feedback. We love hearing your comments. Um, please... Obviously, subscribe and follow us on the podcast app and YouTube and social media and all those fun things. Because um, Anthony and I also both post on social media fairly consistently. Yeah. Mark. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say on my Instagram, I'm only just post memes to my my stories. And then on Twitter, I just complain about <laughs> uh, my <laughs> issues with current nerd things going on. So. Okay, so... So I guess follow me yeah. then. I don't ever post on Twitter really, um, but I do post a lot on Instagram and I post a lot of fun nerd things. And I post like when we get um, new books in a boom. And actually I post funny videos of me and you when we actually see each other in person. Yeah. I have like a boom direct reel now on my Instagram. That's so good. And like, so I put 
funny videos of us behind the scenes. So if you want to follow me, I'm the comics Ginger Harley. And obviously I'm the one. That puts yeah. I, uh, I post a lot of like videos of like rain frogs. Cause I love rain frogs and also baby, and baby hippos. hippos. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was watching your baby hippos like literally yesterday and I was like, oh. I love baby hippos. They're my favorite animal. They're like little alien babies. They are. When they get older, though, they're so mean. They're so mean, but like the babies, specifically baby the hippos, babies. are the, the they're the best. Mm. Also, we launched. We launched, obviously, because you're hearing a second episode. Yep. Um, we launched. Uh, for us, it was literally this week. Um, so we wanted to shout out um, some amazing friends and humans and just other other fans out there who supported our launch. So uh, thank you to Hector Navarro, uh, a rad friend of mine, known since I ran a comic book shop. Thank you to Hector. Uh, thank you to my friend Todd Stashwick, um, as well as one of our creators here, Boom Tate Bromble, who definitely reposted, which was so sweet. Um, we love his book, The Whole Payment. Um, and also to our, our pals over at Fanbase Press, who actually uh, did an interview with us. So you should go take a look at that. Yeah, it's uh, I think it turned out pretty good. I think so. Um, big thanks also to Chris Parton from Boom Addiction. Uh, thanks to our friends at Screen Rant and CBR uh, for supporting the show and just being really, really excited and supportive of uh, what we're doing here. Yeah, and thank you to everyone else. I know that probably by now we've had more uh, reposts and retweets and comments and listens. So thank you. We we appreciate it. Thank you for taking this journey with us. We really do. And if you want to hear your uh, questions uh, read out loud on the show, uh, email them to boomdirect at boomstudios.com. And uh, whether it's to us or to the creators we're interviewing, uh, we'd love to uh, have your feedback and fan mail that we could uh, ask, ask each other and ask our creators. Fan mail? I don't know. <laughs> Not for us. Not for but us. For the creators. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's get down to business. Uh, we want to share with you what we are most excited about here at Boom Studios coming up. So first, we have Boom Playlists. We do. So for our Grim episode, um, we now have a Grim Playlist. So the Grim Playlist is basically um, the songs that the creators used as inspiration, uh, as well as songs that are in the book, because they really use music a lot in it. So there's actually songs that are in the in the actual story. We are going to be trying to have a playlist for every single interview we do, every creator, every person, including someone today who we're interviewing, which is Philip Sablik, our boss. Uh, he has created a playlist, too. Yes, uh, he likes making playlists, and it's a lot of stuff that he likes to listen to while he's working. So maybe this will help you work as well. We also announced a ton of new and exciting projects back in April. Like the very first Berserker one-shot. Yes, you thought Berserker was done. No, it's not. Uh, we have Berserker Poetry of Madness, which is such a dope name. Written and illustrated by Steven Scross and colored by Eisner winner Dave Stewart. Also, um, we totally got to meet, well, I got we, to meet. We, in we in air quotes. We in air quotes. I got to meet Keanu Reeves this week uh, because he did a pop-up with uh, Golden Apple surprise signing, and that was amazing. Um, he was beyond sweet. We talked about libraries. He double-signed my book. It was super fun. Um, and also, uh, we got to talk about how our producer, uh, her cat is named Keanu. And uh, it was rad. Anthony is jealous. I'm so sorry. For, for the record, for the record, I had 
the option to go do that as well. You did. Uh, but I was I had already been in L.A. for like a week and it would have extended my stay by like another five days. And I'm just like, I just want to go home at this point. Yeah. So like I was presented with the option to stay, but I'm just like, I want to go home. So I went home instead. We were sad you weren't you weren't here. I was bummed. I I may I stand by that I made the correct choice. <laughs> but like day of when I was when a everybody was out of the office, but me, quote unquote office because we work remote, but me to like do that. And I was like the yeah. one person online. I was just like, oh, this this is a bummer. And then seeing all the pictures and cool stuff coming from from that. I was just like, oh, this is a bigger bummer. But no matter what, we weren't going to like make sh- you be empty handed with this. We made sure that we got something for you. So we're yeah. not I we, we're we hook people up here. We're, we're a team. Genuinely appreciate it. Some other news. The second series in Dan Panosian and Giorgio Spoletta's Alice series, Alice Never After, was also announced. As well as Joanne Starr and Kari Randolph's Sirens of the City. And a new Power Rangers Unlimited one-shot, Hyperforce, which brings the fan-favorite livestream TTRPG team to the printed page. Written by Melissa Flores, Hyperforce Pink Ranger player Megan Camarina, illustrated by Federico Sabatini, and colored by Brian Valenza. I really, really like all the Power Rangers stuff we're doing. The Unlimited one-shots in particular have been super cool. Um, yeah, Death Ranger being stuff. a favorite of mine. Death yeah, Ranger. Death Ranger is super cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, this year is the 30th anniversary of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So, you know, big shout out to uh, the editorial team here at Boom, who is just really, really keeping the Power Rangers line here going strong, keeping it fresh, keeping it cool, and like bringing in all these weird periphery teams uh, into like, you know, our canon. And also like, seriously, yeah, true. Like our editorial team in general is amazing. And our Power Rangers team is just beyond phenomenal. So shout out, shout out to them. Second to none. I love them. Uh, So now let's talk reading lists. I love talking about reading. So what have you been reading, Anthony? Uh, I'm still working my way through The Lord of the Rings because that is an endeavor in and of itself. Um, I also Mm -hmm. just read uh, Stephen King's Blockade Billy. Um, It's uh, a novella he had published years ago, and it's like a weird intersection of like Stephen King weirdness and baseball. Uh, So if you are at that intersection like I am, it's a really it's I I mean, it took me like, you know, an afternoon to to read. Uh, But it's it's a fun read. I don't like so it. is it like is it like Stephen King meets like Field of Dreams? Kind of. I mean, yes and no. It's Stephen King weirdness. It's it's about. I mean, I don't want to give it away, but it is about uh, a base like a specific baseball player and why he is the way he is. Um, mm. Fictional baseball player, I should add. Anyway, yeah. it's a great novella. Like I said, it'll take you an afternoon to get through. Um, it's it's not like. I don't know, Insomnia or The Stand. Uh, what about you? What have you been reading? So you and I are very on theme and in sync this this week. Perfect. Because uh, feel free to laugh at me. Everyone who's listening, feel free to mock me. But I finally, finally actually started reading The Lord of the Rings. Yay. Is this I your first time? Yeah, so I read The Hobbit a bunch. And I tried yeah. to read Lord of the Rings when I was like in high school. And I just like, listen, I have ADHD. Sometimes I have to try to do things a few times. It's it's hard to get through. It's a struggle at times, for sure, especially when you're younger and just like, you know, the attention span isn't there for it. 
Yeah. So I've actually been doing the, the audiobook version that they nice. dropped kind of near the end of the pandemic. That is, um, oh my gosh, what's his face? Who's Gollum? It's Andy Circus. Yeah. Andy Circus doing the audiobook. Oh my God. He is amazing at it. He is so good. So I am almost done with fellowship. I literally have like an hour left and I already pre-bought all the other ones so that I can like listen to all of them in a row. And I'm like super enjoying it. It's funny because like the the history bits that I didn't enjoy when I was a kid, I'm like in it now. I feel like that's how I know I'm getting old. (laughs) (laughs) Like, tell me more history and backstory. And I'm like, what? Well, Andy Serkis also just makes it like interesting to listen to because he has such a great voice and it's like and he has the voices for each character and they're very Mm -hmm. distinct and like i feel like that's what i need that's why like i listen to certain things as audiobooks is for those types of performances so he kills um and then let's continue to be on theme i finished fairy tale which is stephen king's newest book not too long ago see i still haven't cracked the spine on that yeah, so I, I read it. Um, also, I'm literally drinking out of my mug that was gifted to me by a good friend of mine. Shout out to Charity. She rocks. Um, that says, never underestimate a woman who reads Stephen King books. She gave that <laughs> yes. to me for Christmas. So we're really on theme with Stephen King. Um, but yeah, sure. Fairy Tale was really good. Like, listen, it was it was very different, I think, from a lot of his other things. Um, it's a little bit of a slower burn at points i had someone who i know reading it being like i couldn't like i got bored and i was like i didn't get bored because the writing was good but like i can understand that but honestly it really i think it pays off in the end it goes and twists in different ways that i wasn't expecting which is why i love stephen king's work and also it's basically about a boy and his dog that is what it's about he like basically adopts this dog and the whole journey and everything he goes through is just to save this dog and I'm here love for that. those stories. Yeah, I love that. So, um, and then my 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 last book I'm reading because I read multiple books at once um, is I just finished The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. I recommend if you are a fantasy reader, if you like stories that are kind of like told in the Fey world. She builds this amazing Fey world, and it's like parallel to our current like human world. I recommend. Great, strong. Like women characters, I love it. I'll definitely have to check that out. And then I think next up we have we're gonna go through some of our genre title recs, which yes. has some new stuff from Boom. Yeah. So uh, once in future, if you guys haven't read that before, uh, the final volume is out. As is, I believe, the full deluxe hardcover edition of the entire series so absolutely yeah it's it's i it's one of my favorite (laughs) uh, comps that i got um also obviously our genre is fantasy yes yes our our genre today is fantasy Um, but yeah it's that's a phenomenal read and you you know you can't go wrong with that deluxe hardcover it's just a gorgeous way to collect that series yeah it's such a it's such a phenomenal series uh, for those who don't know that much about Once in Future, basically it kind of it pulls from uh, Arthurian legend. So it's if you've read like um, Once in Future King, that's what one of the reasons kind of called Once in Future. Uh, mm-hmm. Once in Future King, uh, it's similar vibes but more modern, and it goes some amazing places again. Um, and it, it's about family, it's about legend, it's fantasy, it's high fantasy. The art is amazing from Dan Mora, and also it's written by. Uh, Kieran Gillen, who, hi, love him. Wicked the Divine, he's amazing. So mm-hmm. definitely pick it up. 
another good recommendation would be Briar, uh, written mm-hmm. by Christopher Cantwell. Uh, yeah. It's an awesome retelling of the uh, Sleeping Beauty Sleeping story. Beauty. Yeah, Sleeping yeah. Beauty. I was like, oh, I'm blanking on my Disney princesses. <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. Uh, it's it's super cool. It's weird. It's dark. Uh, it's violent at times, but it's also beautiful. Um, and it's, I mean, if you haven't read anything or experienced anything like Christopher Cantwell, who, you know, was the showrunner for Halt and Catch Fire, um, it's very much like an off kilter way to look at the world and tell a story. And that's very much Chris's vibe. And, uh, you know, if, if you liked his run on Dr. Doom, if you liked his run on the mask, if you liked, um, regarding the matter of Oswald's body, like it's just oh. a really, really well told, well written story. Yeah. He, he really is the, like, the king of the twist of the story, like right from the beginning, he goes, oh, you thought you know that you knew this story. He does it in Oswald's body, too. Yeah. You thought you knew this story. You actually don't. And it's out in issue form, by the way. FYI, so you got to go to your mm-hmm. comic book shop for it. But right at the beginning, he basically is like, oh, look, here's Sleeping Beauty. Here's, you know, Briar Rose. Everyone loves her. She's so great. Oh, no, she fell asleep. The curse. La, la, la. And then it goes into. But what if. She wasn't woken up by her true love's kiss. And then you're like, what? And it's like, what if her father decided to marry her off while she was asleep to someone he thought could help him rule the kingdom? So it's, it is, it is a very different story. Um, and I, I, right away I was hooked and I love it. And the art is phenomenal. The cover art we've got is phenomenal. So I recommend and we also just earlier this year announced that it's going uh, to ongoing. So it's not just a limited series. It's 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 been promoted to ongoing, which I love that. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm um, super stoked. Also, some other like fun uh, classics that I love uh, fantasy wise is fables. Ugh, classic. One of the first uh, comic books I think I read as a full series, like read the whole thing was fables. Uh, books of Magic because hi, Neil Gaiman, Sandman. Yes. Um, also, we at Boom put out all the, the Dark Crystal stuff. Yes. Um, and a lot of other uh, Jim Henson stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Labyrinth. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and we have some new collections coming in the pipeline of a lot of those uh, in the next few months. And mm-hmm. I mean, I actually rewatched Dark Crystal <laughs> like only like two weeks ago. And I forgot just kind of how brilliant the world building is that he does in really such a short amount of time. And with puppets like it was yeah. it's so good yeah uh and i'd say my last my last recommend is a boom studios classic coda which is very dystopian lord of the rings vibes basically in this land at one point magic has used to be very common and then now there's been like a whole a whole situation that happened and now magic is rare and precious um, it's by Simon Sprayer, and it's wonderful. Heck yeah. I think my last fantasy recommendation would be the uh, Michael Moorcock Elric series. Uh, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I love those books. I describe them to people who haven't read them before as like, it's high fantasy anime in book form. Oh, uh, and if, you, if you've ever wa- yeah if you've ever watched like a full anime series and you read Elric, you're like, oh, this is just like an anime. Yeah. Um it's it's high magic it's uh you know 
awesome evil magic swords. It's different uh, families vying for power. It's uh, a protagonist who's also just like not a good dude at all. He kind of sucks as a person, uh, but is like the less least terrible of all the characters. I don't know. It's it's a really <laughs> cool, interesting book series. Um, there's a few versions of it. Uh, I think Moorcock has like updated the text every now and then, like over the past, I don't know, mm-hmm. 30 years. Um, but if you can find the, the core series, like it's it's really, really good high fantasy. Yeah, it's it is really good. And also, listen, we love dark fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. So who did we interview for this episode? So for this episode, we interviewed president of publishing and marketing here at Boom Studios, Philip Sablik. Yeah, so uh, I call him the coach. I call him coach. So the coach himself, Philip Sablik, came and chatted with us. Uh, this is a really cool episode, too, because since we had Anthony in L.A. for it, mm-hmm. we actually like filmed it in office with Philip, and it was unbelievably fun. Yeah, uh, it was really cool getting to meet everybody in person while I was down there and getting to do this episode uh, in person with a really like professional film setup. Uh, I think yeah. you guys are really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Philip. We have the absolute pleasure of speaking with a comic industry legend, um, an artist, a communicator, and the world's biggest Ted Lasso fan, Philip Sablik. But just it about Ted Lasso. As somebody who has not seen the show yet, I know I'm like the only person here who's never yeah. seen. You're like part of the one percent. Yeah, long one percent. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's just it. Um, I think it really resonated at a particular time in the pandemic when you know I think we were all struggling with feeling good, and a lot of the programming we were ingesting was like really heavy. And here's this thing that is just delightful and surprisingly deep and the characters are really rich and it's just I have like I think most people watching I have pretty much zero interest in football slash soccer not really a sports person but the characters are amazing I call it sports ball because that just is all sports to me Jen uh um, baseball baseball's neat I think I think the character growth too I think is one of the things that's so amazing because we all we all want to have growth and all the way that they do with the characters is phenomenal. So um, but let's also talk about what you do here because you are president of publishing and marketing. That is correct. That is my title. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, before we get into your journey in comics, why don't you run us through what president of publishing and marketing means here at Boom Studios? Yeah, here at Boom, it it's a little bit unique, right? Because a lot of times what you'll see in traditional publishing companies, a comic book uh, publishing companies is a publisher title, right? Publisher title is usually the person that's like responsible for the business, uh, the, the overall business of the publishing division, um, within a, within a company. So, um, every, uh, department within the publishing company would typically report up to the publisher. They're responsible for the overall success, of the business portion of it. Here at Boom, we're a little bit unique in that we have essentially three main groups within the company, I guess, four. Um, and one of them is our uh, editorial and production design team. So that's run by Matt Gagnon, our editor-in-chief. Um, we have a 
production arm of the company that works in film and TV, and that's run by Stephen Christie, our president of development. Um, we have our finance arm, which is run by uh, our CFO, uh, Jennifer Carted, and then I oversee essentially everything. Uh, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm the catch-all. If the other three groups are fairly um, specialized in what they do, um, uh, I'm in the D&D party of Boom, I am the bard. Gotcha. And so, gotcha. Uh, what I what I like to tell folks is I I, I generally kind of support uh, surround the the creative engine of the company. So when we're kicking off projects um, and developing strategy, I'm on the front end with business development contracts, and then uh, once the project comes together, um, I also oversee our operations, sales, marketing, uh, and licensing divisions um, that. Take, bring the product. It's a lot of different hats. Yeah. 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 I've, always, I've, I've always kind of been that way. I, um, uh, I've always worn a lot of hats. Some of it is a natural outgrowth of, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Boom was a company of a dozen, maybe a dozen and a half people. And so everybody wore a lot of hats. Right. Um, but just the nature of my career uh, has kind of made me uniquely suited to jump back and forth from these different disciplines. Yeah. And Boom has grown so much in such a short amount of time. Like when not too long ago, I was running a comic book shop. Um, I remember that Boom was new. It was like new. And we had someone from Boom who came and was like, please sell Boom comics. Here's some free ones for you to read. But it hasn't, because one of the things that's interesting is Boom uh, is rapidly approaching its 20th anniversary. Uh, So the company was founded in 2005. Um, but it really, um, you know, I would say for the first six or seven years, it takes, it takes a long time in North American comics to establish a foothold, right. it's established trust. Um, and so for the first, I would say five, six, seven years, it was a fairly small company with a, a fairly tight group of team members that were doing everything. Um, and it, at that point you're not putting out that many books. You're just trying to get on the board and get people's attention. Right. And um, probably around 2012, 2013, we really yeah. hit like an inflection point and started to grow pretty rapidly from there. Right. Sense. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading some, I you know, a license boom no longer holds, but Adventure Time at the time, that was like a really kind of big thing that made me aware of, of who boom was. And then a little bit after that was uh, our Power Rangers line with those issues years that first came out. Um, and that really made me aware of of Boom, and then all the creator and stuff that Boom started doing was just like hit after hit after hit. And that was, you know, that predates my entry into the industry too. That's back during my college days, near the end of my college days. Uh, Which now we're just we're gonna all date ourselves again. We did in the first episode because when you were in, he was in college is when I was running a comic book shop. Yep. I remember the the mass rush for those issue zeros was huge with my customer base. So I'm like, oh gosh. Yeah, that was that was the most delightful kind of surprise because we uh, we took on Power Rangers because we were we had a number of people at the company that were really passionate about it. Had grown up uh, with the first couple Mighty Morphin seasons, and we knew that um, typically when something's been around for about twenty twenty five years, there's this kind of arc where the people that grew up on it have kind of a wave of nostalgia. They're usually, you know, have recently entered the workforce or graduated college. It's before kind of they're making any major 
um, you know, uh, adult commitments in their life in terms of like a house or settling down with a partner or having kids or stuff like that. And so there's this like window, um, which, uh, uh, Internally, I've coined the nostalgia window, which is like, sure. I love that. You're, you're like, whatever you were into between the time you were like nine to 12 years old, all of a sudden you're like, oh, now I have money and I can. Now to spend me out. I can spend money on it. Yeah. Nobody's telling me that I can't. Yeah. <laughs> and love it. And 2016, when we launched Power Rangers, uh, was like right in that sweet spot. So we, we had a good feeling that it would do well, but the orders, um, we did this crazy promotion for, I think it was issue one, uh, which was we told stores we were going to send them out a party pack, like so they could do right. Power Rangers party pack. And we said one for every copy you order. Because back then, you know, uh, a really top selling, you know, boom comic series might get 30,000, 35,000 copies ordered. And so um, we, <laughs> we had this plan and the orders came in for zero. I think at 75,000 copies. And then issue one came in at 125,000 copies. Yes. And we literally had to shut the company down for two days or three days. And everybody came in and did literally nothing but assemble these. I did those orders at my shop. We only got one party pack. We only selected to do one. But I remember doing the orders and being like, oh man, because we had so many requests. It was like everyone wanted the like one out of 100 variants, all different variants. And I was like, okay, I got to order. And I ordered just for my tiny shop, I ordered probably almost a thousand copies. So, and that's, this is a small shop. So, but this is, I, I think that's something that Boom is so good at too, is taking a lot of these types of licensed titles and kind of breathing new air into them and bringing new life into them. Yeah. Um, I, you know, with Power Rangers in particular, and not to make this all about Power Rangers. We can talk about magic. We can talk about a lot. Yeah, but like bringing Kyle Higgins in on that first that first run of Power Rangers really kind of what I feel like was giving him free reign to just tell a good story with those characters was shocking because, I, you know, my friends and I all bought the issue zero just out of a sense of nostalgia of like, we grew up with Power Rangers. We loved Power Rangers. This is really cool. And they read it. We're like, oh, no, this is really good. And so we just kept buying it. And like, I let's say still collect all the single issues of the Mighty Morphin Power Ranger series. And now it's a job for Yeah. Yes, I've got Alice. Now I don't have to buy him. Yeah. Now you don't have to worry about it. I just get him for free. Yeah. I think, um, you know, one of the guiding principles here is um, every, every licensed title is a potential entry point for somebody into the medium of comics. Right. And historically, they've kind of been a second-class citizen with most publishers publishing lines, right? right? It was kind of like, you didn't put your top talent on it. You didn't put as much energy into it. You're kind of relying on the brand and the nostalgia to like right. carry those sales. And at Boom, uh, there's always been the sense of like, we don't do, we don't take on licenses that we don't have people internally that are passionate about it and understand it and understand what makes it tick, what makes it special. Um, and then essentially we, we make the books that we as fans would be interested in reading. So right. it's like Power Rangers, it was, again, people in their mid to late 20s, early 30s, making a Power Rangers comic that was evoking the feeling that you had when you were 9 or 10 or 11 or 12. Right. But not doing a literal adaptation. And so, you know, and kind of at um, Hendry, the, the first artist, and then, you know, the creative team since then, that's 
always what they've channeled is kind of like, what is the feeling of this thing that as a adult now you can tap into totally. Yeah. That's, that, that actually makes so much sense to me now. And we've at Boom done such a great job, which is easy for my job because my job is to pitch and sell them. Um, but speaking of buying comics, what was, what got you first into comics? What were some of the first comics that you purchased? Where's your nostalgia? Well, uh, my coming into comic story was, um, the, the sh short answer is, is John Mahoney's fault. The longer answer is that um, in elementary school, I was not like I was not a young comic book reader. Um, it wasn't anything that like uh, I was the oldest in my family and my parents weren't into it. So like um, but I was really into fantasy and science fiction. So I was like a science fiction fantasy novel reader uh, in elementary school. And then um, in middle school, the first day of middle school, I'm sitting in a homeroom. You know, we, we, I forget, it was probably like three or four elementary schools got mashed up into one middle school. So nobody knows anybody. And I'm sitting at homeroom waiting for class to start. And like a good little nerd that I was, I'm reading a book. And it was um, when the t first Tim Burton Batman film came out. They released like a book of short, st of short stories, basically, or an anthology. Um, and I was reading it because I like, science fiction and yeah. fantasy. Makes sense. But this guy, John, who had become one of my closest friends, is sitting like two rows back, sees it, and just assumes, because I'm reading a Batman book, that I must be a comic book fan. Right. And so he like immediately zeroed in on me and wanted to nerd out. And before I knew it, he had gotten into it through his older brother. We're reading, um, this is like early 90s, so the X books were. Oh, right? yeah. So it was like, that was that was my um, entry point, and it's still probably my greatest point of my two greatest points of nostalgia. Are probably like late '80s, early '90s X books, and then um, uh, probably around that same era of Vertigo. Sure, yeah, um, that was a good era for Vertigo too. Yeah, same. Yeah, I was definitely of that generation that read Karen Berger's Vertigo books before I probably. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Too young. Yeah, I feel like that still happens though. Absolutely. Because a lot of those covers were so well designed, even as in my, I mean, I didn't have comic shop mirror, but in my youth, when I'd see them places, I'd be like, ooh, what's that? Because it was. I, I mean, I knew who Dave McKean was as a child because, like, even before I was like into comics, because he illustrates a lot of Damon's death, uh, yeah. like children's books that yeah. are just like, and then, you know, growing up and taste changing and like reading salmon and like recognizing Dave McKean as like a commissar. It's like, absolutely. Like a recognizable style for vertigo for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, speaking of your journey in comics, we know that you were also an artist. So how did that play a role into how you got into this industry? Cause we also watch Philip variants at Boom. Uh, the way that I kind of, started down this path is in sixth or seventh grade. We're like, okay, we want to make comics. How do we do that? Well, I don't know. I guess there's a writer, there's an artist. And so we each drew something and John looked at his drawing and my drawing. What you draw a little better than me. You're the artist. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so then I spent all of middle school and high school, like obsessed uh, with art classes. I went to art school and was an illustration major at the Maryland Institute College of Art. 
um, and uh, actually had uh, Jose Villarubio, who's a fantastic painter and colorist in comics as a professor, you know, just kind of went into it thinking I was going to be one of those folks walking around with my portfolio at conventions. I actually was for a while. My first San Diego Comic-Con, I think I took my portfolio around and tried to get work. Well, San Diego, I didn't make it until I was 20. I just graduated college. And so it was like my graduation trip was to go to San Diego Comic-Con as opposed to taking a real vacation. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So, um, you know, but pretty quickly as I was approaching graduation, tell the story a lot folks who are thinking about getting into a creative field, which is, I remember sitting in my, uh, senior thesis kind of portfolio review, uh, with, with all these other illustration students. And there was probably like 30 or 40 of us there. Everybody's got their wall, that the wall covered with their work, right? And everybody's doing a critique and kind of talking about the stuff. And I had a little where I was sitting there, I was looking around going, better than those 25% of people there. Nowhere near as good as that 25% over there. That is not a good place. <laughs> That's like not, not a strong position. Um, and, um, and so before I graduated, I started looking for jobs in the comic book industry because I thought, well, if my portfolio is not strong enough, in my opinion, to like get hired against just the kids that I was competing with in my class. Right. Then maybe I can rely on like my people skills. Maybe I can create some relationships and right. establish a foothold in the industry and then transition to being an artist. So I applied for and got a job at Diamond Comic Distributors in customer service. Oh, wow. Um, because I had worked a uh, waiting job, so I had customer service experience and basically went into it thinking that it was going to be kind of a temporary thing to get my foot in the door as an artist and ultimately turned into a career. Sure. Um, which is, I think, not an unusual story for folks. No, yeah, absolutely not. So it's always kind of like my advice when I talk to young people is like, don't have like a direction you want to go, have a industry or a, you know, a, a medium or group of people you want to work with, but don't get fixated on like a specific job. Right. You may not even know that the job you're a good fit for exists. Yep. Right. That's true. Yeah. And I feel like, especially when we're young, we all like get really goal focused and make a life plan. And if there's anyone young watching, it never works out the way that you intended. But a lot of the time I think it works out better. And that's an amazing mindset for that. I, I fell forward into comics marketing. That, that was not, you know, I was not a marketing or communications major in college at all. I majored in dance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, I think it is, uh, it's just important to keep in mind that like kind of have to look for where the opportunities are, take them when they come along. Um, and then I guess to get back to your original question, I think the way it has informed my career is I spent a lot of time in my career working with creative people. And so I think being somebody that wanted to be an artist has, you know, done a limited amount of professionally published work, both as a writer and artist and kind of had those experiences on the other side of the table. It gave me empathy and an understanding of kind of what was important to the folks that I was working with, right? Whether it was how they were being treated, the information they were being given, how things were being presented to them, or just 
how, you know, when I was editing books prior to Boom, how those notes were being conveyed back. Right. And, um, and it, it actually gave me a little bit of a unique advantage because most editors in comics come from a writing background. Right. And so um, being able to talk to another artist in, in artistic terms that they could understand and that were specific and, you know, came from a place of knowledge, I think, helped make me better. Totally. Absolutely. And I think in a weird way, the subject of empathy, I guess, ties a little into the next question we kind of wanted to ask you, which is kind of how Bose Studios became synonymous with professionalism, um, how we've kind of elevated our publishing and how we've become such great partners in the industry with with our peers and also with the the retailers and other people we have to work with. Uh, because I will say when I first came into Boom and I'd already been in uh, the comic book industry for a while, um, I think that's one of the first things that hit me that I also like didn't understand it versus I was like, oh my God, everyone here is nice. And I think it's something that we all feel as, as employees here. Oh, absolutely. But I think... I wonder if that ties into how we've done what we've done, how we've been so professional, why we're seen in so excellent, such a good light, and also how you've been able to elevate our publishing line yeah. and other initiatives. Yeah, I think some of it, you know, like most organizations, uh, culture both bubbles up from the, the, the foot soldier ranks and ends down from the top. And I think what was, you know, built into the DNA of the company is, Ross Ritchie, your founder, when he started the company, he had two things that I think, again, were built into his idea of the company from the beginning. And then the rest of the management team took up as part of kind of like, okay, this is what the culture is. Boom. Right. First thing was that um, he really viewed the creators, the retailers, everybody that we work with as partners and used that word, right? And specifically the way that you know, Boom's business model is set up is we're equal partners with our creators. We're right. equal partners with our yeah. retailers. Um, we've done retailer presentations where, you know, based on our wholesale discounts, like you literally for every dollar I make, you make a dollar, right? That makes us partners. That makes us aligned. And part of the philosophy was that a good partnership, you have to know kind of like what the goals are, and then you have to have all of the incentives aligned in the same direction. If you can do that, you can weather tough conversations, you can weather tough spots because you're able to kind of like talk through them, right? So that right. that message of partnership was something, you know, when I came to Boom in 2012, I was a little confused by it. I was like, y'all do all sorts of stuff over here. And I, ha I had known Ross for years and I had known a couple other people here uh, for a little bit. Again, everybody was always like professional and nice. And I was like, hey, like, help me understand. But I also don't understand why you're publishing Peanuts comic books and Hellraiser comic books. I'm just, <laughs> this sure feels like a, a very uh, kind of disparate publishing line. Help me understand it. And so I spent a lot of time uh, coming in as the head of marketing at the time, trying to understand like what the company was about. Partnership is one of those things. And then the other thing that Ross would always talk about is one of his formative experiences working in comics was working at a large uh, company here in the LA area uh, in the early 90s. So this was kind of like during one of the big comic booms. And there was, I think, 100 plus employees there at the time. And his observation was that there were these really high performers 
that were carrying a lot of kind of like either mediocre or underperforming team members. And being a comic fan, he was like, but what if you put together the Justice League of comics? Like, what if everybody was awesome and you just didn't like fall into that trap of just kind of like, oh, that's good enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, it's those two things where we're always pushing each other to get better. You know, one of my favorite things to hear from outside partners that we work with is like, oh my gosh, y'all are so together on this thing. And, you know, most of the time my internal reaction is, oh man, we got so much work to do to like tighten, and like, <laughs> but we, we, we can get better. Um, so yeah, I think that's, it's just kind of like built into the DNA of the place. And, you know, in terms of like what I contributed, I think as somebody that was coming from a marketing sales and communications background, I viewed my job as like, it's not marketing's job to create a message. It's marketing's job to like hone the message and right. explain it as crisply and as cleanly what is already happening. Right. Yeah. And so that's, I think, where we've been successful over the last 10 years is really, you know, just being who we are and being yeah. consistent. And one of the things we often hear is like, y'all are so sincere. You know, this, this industry has, has a lot of, has a lot of sarcasm. Yeah, sure does. And not that we don't hear, obviously we have our sarcastic moments. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, that's the funny thing is like, everybody always asks when they start or after they start at Boom, they're always like, I wasn't sure if it was real. And it's like, no, this is like, what you see is what you get. Yeah, same. No, honestly. Uh, looking ahead into 2024, what is exciting to you about what we have coming up in our publishing line? Um, I mean, I, I hate to be the, that dad figure who's like everything. Um, but um, so I'll try not to do that. But I do think this year is really exciting because last couple of years we've had a chance to like, again, reset our position in the marketplace. We've established a number of franchises that I think for a lot of comic shops, a lot of bookstores are cornerstones. So really a, a lot of what this year is about for me is like, how do we continue to build things like something is killing the children and berserker and get those, um, get those properties in the hands of new readers, you know, or, um, and then bringing back stuff that we love, you know, this year's a big year for us doing sequels and follow-ups to series, whether it's so exciting. Wilds End or um, we've got a new Alice uh, Ever After series coming from uh, Dan Pinotion called Alice Never After. Um, we've got more Berserker coming in the form of specials. Um, and then we've got a, a number of returning creators that I think is always exciting when we have folks come back and do stuff with us. So uh, we've got, uh, I know, a new, a new project um, from some fan favorite creators and then I'm trying to remember what we've what we've made public and what we haven't we've got a lot so I, I, I know we've got uh, a number of folks that we've worked with in the past coming back um, and then it's also an exciting year because we're going to have um, Matt Cadets starting up on Netflix as an animated series and we've got a new series coming uh, for fans with that and Greg and Tom are absolutely fantastic and just an amazing creative team so we're excited to be working with them again um and then there's new folks coming in to play a couple of big creators that we haven't announced yet, but we've got, we just, I think, uh, the day we're recording this, we announced, uh, 
Sirens of the City. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jan and, and Kari uh, bringing that book over. So I'm really excited. Um, known both of those folks for years. And so it's really cool to get a chance to work with them. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, we just, uh, I think this week, launched uh, The Seasons Have Teeth with Dan Waters. Yeah. Um, and, and Sebastian, the artist, big fan of their work for years. This is our first chance to work with them. So I think the fun thing about Boom is because our publishing line is so varied, we never sit still for very long. And there's always something new to get excited about. Even, you know, extensions on series like Grimm and Damn Them All or a new um, issue of A Vicious Circle coming out is just something I'm looking forward to as a reader. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's fun because like my job here is obviously sales and I do a lot of pitching and selling. And when I first got here, unless I'd already been a Boom fan, I'd read a lot of Boom stuff. I'd actually met you, I think, not too long before I got hired. Yeah. And when you guys did your presentation, I was like, I literally turned to my manager mail job and I was like, I want to work there. <laughs> so, and then I am. So like, listen, yeah. dreams come true. Um, but I think when I first was here and I was catching up on stuff, I hadn't read. Everything I read, I was like, wow, that was good. Or that was great. Or that was amazing. Or that was excellent. There was nothing that was even mediocre for me as someone who's ingested a lot of stories. So what do you think it is about our stories like Something is Killing the Children, like Grimm, Briar, Damn Them All, that makes all of our stories so good and also so relatable to readers? Yeah, I think um, in general, like what drives um, our, our project Greenlight and like um, decision, publishing planning decisions is curation. You know, like we have intentionally kept our line um very steady over the last three years. There have been opportunities where we probably could have expanded, but one of the things that we bear in mind is that part of what we're trying to give fans is a consistent experience, right? So not every boom book is going to maybe be your cup of tea, but if you pick up a new boom, number one, you're going to have an expectation of a certain level of quality. Right. You know, and not just in the storytelling, which is obviously important, but in the production value in paper stock and the design and every little right. thing that goes into it, right? Um, in terms of the series you mentioned, I think um, there's a number of things. One of the things that I think in particular, like with series like Something's Killing Children, Grimm, um, Damn Them All, and Briar that resonate is um, years ago, we did a book called Daymen with uh, Brian Stelfreeze. Yes. Anton favorite artists um, and, a, and a friend. He, he, it's a great example of somebody you meet when you're a teenager and they say, like, don't meet your heroes. And then you get to work with them. You're like, sure. <laughs> Sometimes you should meet them. I love that book, too. But one of the things when we were developing that and he was designing the characters that he said, um, and now I'm going to forget how what the number was. I think it was three, but it was basically like, if you want the character to resonate, they have to have three defining char visual characteristics that are identifiable from a silhouette. And so... If you look at, um, you know, those, those characters, that's really kind of like a big piece of it, right? Erica Slaughter has the mask with the teeth, the big green eyes, colored dark, blonde, yeah. and then the, the tank top, right? right. Yeah. Um, uh, Briar, it's the sword, it's the white, long hair, kind of the gone face and that like torn dress. Mm -hmm. uh, Jessica Harrow has, again, it's like the hair, the shock of color. 
the mole, yeah. you know, like there's th- the whole costume. Some of it's like, you know, becomes inherent to folks that are working on superhero comics. But I think a lot of times in the independent space, people lose the, um, how important that is to have this like visually distinct character. Right. Yeah. On, you know, on a simple level, it's like, you want to look at a character and go like, is somebody going to want to cosplay that? I was just thinking that. Yeah. Which we had someone cosplay Jessica from Grimm. Yeah. Like before the comic goes out. That was Lumberjanes for us. We knew Lumberjanes was going to be a hit because we showed up to Emerald City Comic Con before the first issue was out. And there was a group of four girls dressed up as Lumberjanes character. Incredible. Oh, my goodness. That's so cute. So I think that's it. I think, um, you know, in terms of uh, high concept, you want to have something that you, I mean, you're in sales, you're in marketing. You, that, what's that one liner? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's the elevator pitch? You want the elevator pitch, yeah. And you want it to be clean and understandable and kind of uh, universal. And and I think like all four of those titles, you know, are dealing with just human themes that we all deal with. You know, it's like, what's my place in the world? What's my destiny? How do I deal with my, you know, family history? How do I, uh, you know, um, uh, feeling left behind? Or, you know, like those are all universal themes. Absolutely. The trauma of being a person. Yeah. And and, and, exist. And, and and I think our editorial team has, they've been together a long time. So again, they kind of like play to each other's strengths. I think, you know, when uh, y'all get a chance to talk to Matt, he'll talk about this where like in a lot of companies, uh, editorial is competitive, right? Like editors are competing for projects, for talent. Um, yeah. Boom doesn't work that way. Essentially the, group of editors, core group of editors have been around for a long time. Like they all find an artist and they literally get in a room and you're like, which book is this artist best for, you know, Hey, you know, this editor is really strong on themes while this one's really strong on story structure. Let's, you know, pass the scripts around and make sure that, you know, we're getting the best feedback. Totally creator. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's awesome. And that's so true because I, I actually never thought about it till just now. But yeah, our, our editorial team is like very cohesive and a huge shout out to our editorial team. High five. Yeah. Because yeah. the books that they curate and, and hold um, with the creators makes our jobs way easier. <laughs> it really does. So. Well, we've all, we've all, you know, as salespeople, you know, you have to sell stuff that you're not excited about. Um, and one of the things I love about being at Boom is often I have to do. I've never had to do that here. No. It's been two years and I've never had to sell something that I wasn't actually like, I'm excited and I will like this book. Yeah. So. Pretty it's, amazing. It's a privilege. Yeah, it's, it really is. That's, I mean, that's the privilege of like getting to like do marketing or sales or any kind of job in comics. It's like at the end of the day, you just get to talk to people about comics. Like you as a, a person who gets excited talking about comics, gets to talk to other people who are excited to talk to comics with you. And just like, that's the coolest job in the world. Yes. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. It's, pretty awesome. it's great. Uh, well, to, to wrap us up here, what piece of advice would you give to a younger you? Um, I think, you know, I think probably the biggest thing I would tell a younger me is like, like there's a power in being young and thinking, you know, everything and kind of having a confidence of like, I'm going to just like voice my idea because it's my idea. And I was definitely that person in my twenties. You know? I was never that. 
Hmm. Um, so I, I, th- I think there, there's genuine power. And part of the reason we, you know, at, at Boom, we're constantly bringing new folks in and, and trying to create a safe environment is because on the more experienced side, we never want to lose touch with that. Yeah. Um, and um, because that's where cool new ideas come from. It's where, you know, the, the person in their 40s and 50s isn't going to be on the bleeding edge of what like content is cool or what are the trends or share talent um, most of the time. So you, you want to stay tapped into that. But at the same time, you know, if I regret anything from my twenties, it's that I didn't pay close enough attention to like the wisdom and stories that the folks that were at the time in their thirties or forties or fifties had to pass along sure. to me. And I wish I had, you know, because I think that I'd, I'd be further along at least I'd have a greater appreciation for, for that stuff. Totally. I mean, listen, you're our boss. In case that wasn't clear, I don't think you ever said that. Oh, yeah. Philip is no. our boss. Philip like is our boom. boss's boss. Yeah, he's our boss's boss. He's our, yeah. what I call, actually, I do what I call, I call you the big boss. <laughs> nice. Our coach. Very, very metal gear. Okay, both. Yeah. I like big boss. I like. Yeah, so you're the big boss and that's what happens. I'll be like, yeah, I know I was talking to my big boss today, like with my friends. Um, but yeah, so to be very clear, you are our big boss. So also... For one thing, thank you. I think some of the advice you gave is just amazing and wonderful. Oh, thanks. Um, and we super appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this with us. Yeah, this. thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm so excited for, for this show and, and, and all the conversations y'all are going to have. Thank, we're thrilled to have you. Yeah. And genuinely. Stoked. Yeah, this is cool to do this in person, to film in person, which is not an opportunity we have to do often because no. uh, mm-hmm. remote across not different times to live here. I don't live here. He doesn't live here. That's, he's the problem. Yeah, I am the problem. But genuinely, this has been an amazing conversation. I think I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of stuff from it. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in and watching. Uh, for the podcast listeners, thanks for taking the time out of your day to listen to the extended version of this interview. Follow all of us on social media. That information is going to be in our description of the podcast. And if you have any questions, uh, send them to boomdirect at boomstudios.com. And big thank you to Philip for being with us today. Thanks so much. I'm Harley. I'm Anthony. And I'm Philip. And remember, comics are for everyone. Which is why we make comics for everyone. And this is Boom Boom Direct. Direct. (laughs) That was good. We nailed it.